0: You're listening to the Entrepreneur Podcast from the Western Morrison Institute for Entrepreneurship, powered by Ivy. My name is Eric Morris, and I'll be the host for this episode. Mark Healy started his first entrepreneurial venture during his Ivy MBA in 2005. Through the years, he has led established brands and started a variety of ventures in the marketing and consulting space. But most recently, Healy joined two other Ivy alums in acquiring a horseradish brand in Norfolk County, and that right in the midst of a global pandemic. In this frank conversation recorded at the Desjardins Entrepreneurship Speaker Series, Mark shares the lessons he has learned from being an entrepreneur and working in larger firms, the challenges of running a product company, and what future trends entrepreneurs should explore in the coming years. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Like, when did this, when did this kind of come to you? Uh,
1: no, like, sorry, categorically, you know, part of this story. So I, by the way. Two themes tonight, right? First is, who am I to give advice to anybody, right? So I ain't grain of salt on everything I say. Uh, And the second is, two things can be true at the same time. That's going to come up over, kind of over and over and over again. So uh, I I grew up on a dirt road between two farms in the middle of nowhere in Quebec. And my mom was a teacher, and my dad was an entrepreneur. And he was a, if we're honest about it, we have to be honest tonight, he was a, a failed entrepreneur. It was a scary word to me growing up. Spoke to poverty, and it it spoke to, uh, it spoke to struggle, and it spoke to a bunch of things that were sort of negative, yeah. if I'm sort of really honest, yeah. and um, and so it came to me later. Like I'm not a born, you know, I knew when I was a kid that this is what I was going to do, but uh, it the spark really was at Ivy, right? I saw all these. I felt very fortunate. I was very fortunate to get in, uh, and I felt very fortunate about it. And I saw all these sort of bright people doing amazing interesting things and the program was a huge part of oh there's a process to this and there's a discipline to this and it's not so scary and a few of us had an idea that we thought maybe would work and it was at a time in my life I could sort of make that work.
0: And you you actually started your business while in the MBA program I, or the I, germ I, of the idea like anyways. A fool. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more what was it what'd you do?
1: Two things can be true at the same time, right? So I I really liked the idea of marketing at a at a kind of strategic level. I liked the idea of consulting because there are starts and stops to it. And I didn't really like the idea of on a plane Sunday back Thursday, which was the model at the time. There were also no specialist shops in the area at, at the time. And I had a couple of folks that I had really enjoyed working with, and we thought we could make something of that. So the idea was born, right? We had worked on some school projects, or the, the, there was an Ivy Consulting business at one point, and we thought that could be maybe the gem of, or the the, the germination of, of something bigger. And so we started uh, the kind of the first specialist marketing strategy consultancy in Canada at the at the time. Yeah, and it had a good run
0: with that. All we, good things come to an end, but we, there was a good run.
1: Yeah, we have. I mean, I have lots of war stories from that, right? Good, good, and bad. Partnerships, different partners, shotgun clauses, different brands—the whole, the whole shebang. Which we tell that story a, another time. But it was, um, we you know we were very fortunate. We we caught a couple of breaks early with some clients that kind of believed in the vision we had and uh, showed up with <laughs> at the time what felt like a truckload of money uh, <laughs> and floated the firm in a way they didn't understand. They were floating us, and that allowed us to get to get better. And we. We really built and did all the things that you're supposed to do that you learn in business school and you're supposed to do as an entrepreneur and we built right into the teeth of the Great Recession and without sort of seeing it coming and that was but was, that was one of the inflection points.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sure. But uh you know, to think of you know, still pretty uh, a young group of men and women going out and uh, really getting some great contracts. And you guys did and go through it. But let me switch. You've had the opportunity to run your own ventures, and we'll we'll get to some of the different things. But you've also worked in larger organizations. Similarities, differences, learnings from both.
1: Incredibly valuable. There's no, there's no way I make decisions that I make today. And I, I don't. 60-40, right? <laughs> like I, I think I make 60% good decisions, but I I wouldn't even I wouldn't even get the number. Sort of that high without the experience. So when I was in a couple of stories on this, when I was in school here, uh, Ed Clark came a few times as a speaker, and Ed was the OTD bank. And through subprime, there's a whole amazing story. He was the only guy on analyst calls that said, "I don't understand subprime," and people like you know 24 year old kids that we graduated laughed at him and said, "You got to." Be, anyway, he turned out to be all right. So he's he was smart. And Ed said, "You know, you got to come in and out of." Uh, roles and situations in your career. In his case, it was in and out of private sector and public service. He would go to government and come back, and he said, "You have to be doing that to, to be to have some perspective and get be able to make better decisions." And I, and I have found no question coming in and out of corporate roles over the years has given me tremendous perspective. Uh, it helps me make better decisions in my consulting practice, which is the other hat that I wear these days. I can very credibly say, I've sat in your shoes and I've made the mistake. By the way, don't do this. Or I've sat in your shoes and i started stared at this issue and let's talk it through. And that's, that, I, I, that wouldn't be true if it was a solo, only an entrepreneurial path.
0: So learnings in both, both enjoyable, both unenjoyable. I mean, you've you kind of- the stresses, are,
1: the stresses are different in both. I mean, the, again, we're going to tell the truth here tonight, right? Like the, the biggest difference is spend. The biggest difference is decisions on spending money. And you, I think you always have to be asking yourself, whose money am I spending here, right? So I'll give you an example. In, in the same week, yeah. okay, I sit on the board of a, a tech company in a, out of Vancouver. It's beyond entrepreneurial at this stage. It's established. It's a fairly big business, uh, but the stock has lately has been hit, they're down a bit, they need a win, and they're staring at an acquisition. And so we're doing the diligence and debating the acquisition, okay? The tech firm that they're thinking about buying and adding to their empire lost $5 million last year. It lost more the year before, okay? And what do, we think, what do you think we valued that at? I'll say $30 million. Somehow we valued that, that at $30 million, right? In the same week in the horseradish business, we have a piece of equipment that's broken. It's $110,000, which means it's $150,000. By the way, there's three partners. equal partners, that's $50,000, but that's my money, right? which means it's my wife's money, which 110 versus $30 million, right? Which one of those decisions do you think gets more scrutiny? Should be the 30 million, right? No. Yeah. Your own money. Whose money is it? I, and I think that's key is learning to be, learning to be responsible with your own money, but also in a corporate role there's, you gotta be responsible with somebody else's, somebody else's.
0: And it is different decision, isn't it? All right, more recently you've joined uh, with two other alum, uh, of the school, it's the three marks: so uh, Mark Healy, Mark Van and Mark Whitmore. And you're running a horseradish business, yes. which is exactly what I imagined when you yes. left Ivy 20-some yeah. years ago. Uh, I can, see. I can ago. see that. Yeah. <laughs> so t- how did that come about? And
1: tell me about the horseradish business. Okay, so I'm going to tell the long version of the story because it's because okay. it's and you're CEO, by the way. It's a title, right? There's three partners.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a like funny story
1: and it's an instructive story. So a million years ago, and I was a student here. I started a thing, and Mark Whitmore wrote, he was in industry, he was in Deloitte, very senior, he wrote the first check to support the thing, and he wrote it for two years in a row to make sure that it could get established, and it's, anyway, it's still going, and he was a great guy, and we got to know each other that way, so he was, he's a lot older than me, by the way, and uh, I would make fun of him if he was here, but he's not, Um, so. We had always talked about maybe there would be an opportunity to work together, maybe it would be at Deloitte, maybe it would be on our own. And we made a concerted effort to go buy a business a few years ago. And it came, it went, it went nowhere. And then we really kind of picked it up. This was before COVID, and we did all of the things that you're supposed to do. We wore suits, we had a deck, we had an investment hypothesis, we had criteria, we went to see every accountant and lawyer and broker we could. We could find, and we said, here are our credentials, and we'd like to buy a business, and by the way, here's what we're looking for, industrial, B2B, services, low revenue, high margin, something we can, where you can make some mistakes, and we had nothing, we had no, there was no deal flow at all. And we didn't get laughed out of the room, but there was a bit of, yeah, yeah, we've seen lots of guys like you, and good luck. Um, and then uh, we decided when COVID rolled around, we would park our search. We said, maybe there'll be some distressed businesses later let's stop and uh, Whitmore called me in the middle of the first lockdown like do you remember the first lockdown when you were welded in your house and if you went outside you were going to die like that one and said I found one and I said no you didn't we're not looking remember and he said no, no no it's good you should you should look at it I said what is it he said you have to suspend your disbelief I said I don't like this at all I don't like does it fit our investment criteria he said no I said, well, what are you calling me for? No, 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 there's some potential here. We should look at it. Tell me what it is. So he tells me what it is. I said, Mark, we're not, we have no permission. We're not farmers. We don't have any agriculture background. We don't need, it's not, it's B2C. We don't know anything about retail. We don't know anything about grocery. I'll send you the numbers. The numbers were terrible. He sent me the numbers. They were awful. Um, and then we, so Vandenbosch was yep. colleague, of, colleague. Eric's and faculty member like had taught me, and he's got actually an agricultural background. And calls us and says, "Oh, maybe you know, like maybe we should." So we evaluate the thing, and the evaluation and the diligence was extremely challenging because it was COVID. We had one hour to go look at, and you had to stand. And they were serious, like stand six feet apart, or you're going go to go jail. Uh, we had an hour to tour the facility, look at the equipment, and we looked at the numbers. And all three of us came from a different perspective. Whitmore's was look, I think there's something about the area and, and sort of the opportunity. Vandenbosch looked at it from an agricultural perspective and I literally asked everybody I could think, can you name a horseradish brand? And nobody could. And I thought, okay, well, maybe there's something from a marketing and brand perspective. That, that's the story on how we, how we bought it.
0: So during a pandemic. During a pandemic. A product company, mm-hmm. <laughs> perfect,
1: mm-hmm. perfect.
0: What have you learned about running a product company?
1: Uh, it's, it's extremely challenging. Yeah. It is extremely challenging.
0: It's a real, it's a, this is a new step for you.
1: Yes. Uh, I'm not sure I'm particularly good at it, to be honest, to be honest about it. Um, so, you know, here's a, a bunch of learnings. You're going to market with a value chain, and the value chain really matters. Right? So distribution is everything. It's kind of true, especially in Canada, because nobody lives in Canada. Relative to the geography, no one lives here. There should be 400 million people here, and there are 40. Um, so there's 40 miles between stops for anything in the country. Right. And so fuel and labor really matter if you're, if you're in that business. If you want a, a slightly depressing but a, a incredibly instructive story on the retail business, you know, that business in Canada, read last weekend's Globe, so 10 days ago, about why Kleenex, the brand, decided they weren't going to stay in Canada. They retreated from the market because they had slipped to number two in share. So it's, uh, it's extremely challenging at a structural level. And you, you'll read all about the competition and the barge grocers and price and all, all that. And it's, it's true to a degree, but it's Galen and the others get a sort of an unfair shake. It's way more structural than that. Yeah. And you're, you're constantly asking yourself the question, are we in our, you know, in our sort of our macro space, are we a manufacturer? or are we a brand and you kind of can't be both you kind of have to you kind of have to choose mm. uh, which you're going to
0: be interesting yeah why why is that mark
1: uh, because it's too much investment in expertise and time and also in money so if you're going to be if you're going to really focus on manufacturing you have to get very good at manufacturing you have to be very very good at risk and you have to be very good at safety and you have to be very good at audits and you have to be very good at maintenance and you have to be very clever about equipment acquisition and financing, and that's a completely different skill set from the customer-facing side. You build a brand, and you're on television, and you're on social, and you're out in the market, and you're at trade shows, and and straddling those two lines. I mean, I guess if you were venture-backed and you had... $20 dollars. Million, $20 million. But I don't even think that's a good decision. I think that was paper yeah. over it. I think you yeah. have to
0: choose. That's why when they talk about Canada, they talk about it as, as a logistics country, right? It, it's so important to what we do. Uh, you've spoken about the myth of the lone entrepreneur. How, is, um, how important has it been to have two other people, friends, fellow alums? I, I'm, I'm assuming it's good, but maybe we talk about the, the other side as well. You know, working together at Dennis. And how, how would you advise anyone in the, the audience about looking at partners and partnerships?
1: Well, you and I've. Have- spoken about this before. It's ridiculous, it's absurd. The idea that anybody does everything on their own is ridiculous. Yeah. Even even if you're, even if you're a solo shop and you start, like you have an agency, you have an accounting firm, you have a lawyer, right? You have an intermediate. You have somebody that you're multiple somebodies that you're working with to get your business off the ground. You're going they are your partners. I don't care if they don't have equity. You're not succeeding without. So the the that. Notionally is a, sort of a, is, is a sort of absurd idea. And then for me, so I have a consulting practice where I'm solo now and it, it's been, I've been long enough in that business that I know what I'm doing. Maybe know what I'm doing. Think I know what I'm doing. Um, to me, if you're kind of less than 15, 20 years into a, a, a venture, you, you have to be, you have to be bouncing ideas off of somebody else. You have to be talking decisions through well. It is incredibly important. It's it's emotionally important because it's lonely, and uh, you just you're gonna make you're gonna make better decisions if you have somebody else that you can debate the decision with. You just are. You can, you're not gonna make as many good decisions on your own. I don't care who you are.
0: Yeah, you know, I, uh, some of you know I, I run a program called Quantum Shift, and it's uh, it, it's very successful entrepreneurs. They're at least 10 million. Most of them are 50 to 250 million in revenue, growing 20 percent, you know, year over year. We've seen 800 of them, and I will say that all of them will tell you that at one time or another, uh, they're just incredibly lonely. Like, uh, who do I talk to about my business? Um, you know, I don't want to talk with my customer about maybe not being able to fulfill their order. I don't want to talk with my supplier about things aren't looking good. I may not be able to buy. I can't talk to my banker sometimes because I just don't know where things are going. It can be really lonely and having those partners, or a peer group is the way to some, some people get around it, uh, to talk to and other people that have been there are going through it with you really is a huge advantage. Huge advantage. I couldn't, couldn't agree more with you on that one. Um, it, talk about a partners, though, choosing partners. I mean, is, is friends the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? Or does it just totally depend, the academic answer?
1: Two two things two things can be true at the same time. Um, so there is this notion of healthy tension. Healthy tension in business is okay. If you think of at home, whatever home looks like for you, how healthy is the tension in your house? If there's tension, it's probably not that healthy, <laughs> right? Uh, if you have business partners and there's a lot of tension, I don't. You can label it anything. You want. It's not that healthy. So I think. To the extent that you're that you're choosing, you you can't be at odds right. with uh, philosophically more than anything. Philosophically, finance. yeah, you can't be at odds with your in your worldview in the way that you come at the world. And at the same time, you can't be completely aligned in your point of view either. You you're not going to make you you're not going to debate the decisions, and you're not going to get to better ones. So for that's the start of this for me incredibly important i wanted older partners because i wanted more seasoned vets who had made tougher bigger decisions than i had made that was and that i could still learn from and i learned from both of them every day they're smarter than me whitmore is very smart and vandenbosch is like incredibly smart he just makes better he just thinks about things differently and makes better decisions and so i think if you're if you're at odds, it's unhealthy, but if you're coming at things orthogonally, my new word of the day, orthogonally, that's very, uh, I think it's crucial, actually. And it's been crucial for me. There's no, there's no way we get to where we've gotten, and we haven't gotten anywhere, but we'd be, we'd be bankrupt and out of business without our sort of divergent views.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool, thanks. Given the career you've had, is there a piece of advice or some motto that, that has shaped the way you've navigated your entrepreneurial journey that you'd, that you'd share? Uh,
1: two ones from you.
0: <laughs> Great.
1: Now you, may, you probably don't even remember this. So Eric was good uh, enough to sit on the board of the first consulting firm that I had. And we had some early success, and then we had a couple of uh, stumbling, We hit a couple of stumbling blocks and we realized that we needed to change a little bit. Not a full-on pivot, but a bit of a change. And I remember us asking you, Eric, we're A and we need to be B. How do we tr- transition from A to B? And you said, don't, just go be B. B. Yeah. And I don't think we believed you at the time. <laughs> that was very valuable advice. Hmm. No one's watching. <laughs> like you're not LeBron James and the Lakers. You're not under scrutiny at all times. You just just change it. Just just literally just change it and do the thing that you think is right and it'll be fine. And we changed it and it was not only fine, it was the right thing to do and off we went. So that's one. And the second is, and I think for, for me anyway, as, you know, as I'm approaching 50, I realize this more and more. Like I'm wrong about like a lot of things. I'm like wrong about things that I was certain I was going to be right about. And in the past, I think I, I think I got that right, maybe I didn't, maybe I actually got it wrong. And we as a, we're wrong about a lot of things. Okay, I have two kids, I have two girls, four years apart. In the four years between my kids, the science on um, allergens 100% flipped from don't ever feed your kid eggs to you have to feed your kid eggs. That is like millions of people, right, worldwide who were working on a thing that got it wrong four years before. We get things wrong all the time, so, and I get things wrong a lot, so I think if you assume that the thing you're thinking about is wrong, that's very helpful, and go test it with other people, and it doesn't matter whether they're experts or not. Go test your idea, test your hypothesis, test your question hey, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? And it is amazing how many times somebody will, who maybe has no business giving you advice, but they just, they look at it differently and they'll say, oh, you might want to think about it this way. And you think, oh, yeah, you're right. That's actually way better than what I was thinking. So th- there, you, there you go. Assume you're wrong about most things.
0: <laughs> I would say seek seek that advice. Seek contrary opinions is the way that I would look at it because entrepreneurship is a whole bunch of hypotheses. And what you're doing is you're testing hypotheses. You you need the contrarian to challenge you on what you think. And so seek it out. And I know you've actually been very, very good at that. I I would also say he's right way more than he's wrong. And I'm going to go with that as I go to my next question. (laughs) Because I think you're always looking at trends. You're looking forward. And I do think that you, You've done a really good job of capturing those things. Horseradish is an interesting one for me, but we'll get maybe back to that. Mm. What's happening in culture today? Are, you know, are there observations of opportunities that you see that maybe we're not, entrepreneurs aren't taking full advantage of, uh, or some areas that
1: you know, entrepreneurs here today should be thinking of? Cut me off whenever you want. I have a bunch of answers. There you go. Okay, so ma- macro, macro trends. Cities are dead, right? COVID killed cities. Cities are dead. Cities are hollowing out. Everybody's moving to the country. Uh, downtowns are dead. No, absurd. Like, if you look forward 10 or 15 years, there's no way that can be true. It's never been true in human history. People have always come together. They've lived together. They've built bigger and bigger civilizations and bigger and bigger cities. Cities are going to bounce back. So there is something there in terms of business. Either if you have a lot of capital, you can just buy and sit. That's a traditional way of it, but there's also kind of there's probably a clever model there in trying to pick up the rise as cities roar back to life, and I promise you they're going to roar back to life unless I, unless, I'm wrong, watched, unless I'm wrong, unless I'm wrong because I'm wrong a lot.
0: <laughs> uh, anybody that's ever watched Calgary year to year would know yeah. that this happens.
1: <laughs> so that'd be would be one. The second is, it's been on on personal front, it's been a very tough last twelve months with my parents who have aged extremely quickly and emergency trips to Quebec to, to deal with it. And so I'm, it's on my mind a lot, right? Like what does it look like as the population ages? And we are demographics, macro, like this population is aging, right? And I think about it a lot. I don't know how many of you have been in an airport in the last like two weeks or checked out at a relatively tech forward store in the last two weeks or my parents would have it would be impossible for them to navigate a modern airport. Like they couldn't, they couldn't do it. They couldn't, and, it, and, and that's if everything is going right and usually it's not. If your flight changes and then you gotta check the app and then you gotta do the thing, I can barely do it. There's no way they could do it. And they, they couldn't navigate the world that as, and so their choice is they've retreated from it, but that is not where the world is gonna go. We're gonna have for the next 30 years a wave of retirees with a ton of money who are gonna age into a very complicated, fast-paced world. And there is definitely something there for entrepreneurs from services to products and everything in between. Like a a straight service I would pay for is just like a kind of a concierge for my parents, right? Just like help them, like literally help them get through life. I don't mean care. I don't mean clean their apartment, and uh, that's not what I mean. Not a healthcare perspective, but literally like concierge service you guys are smarter than me you can imagine a bunch of, but that that is that's a 30 year trend that is is going to hold and then the last one i've got is my oldest who's 11 is uh she's very interested in science and so we we watch a lot and we think a lot about physics and we think a lot about and there is if i was going to right if i could go back or if i'm advising her i would say there is There's something about sound and frequency that we're just on the edge of understanding and it will explode into a massive set of industries over the next 20 years from energy to manufacturing. There's there's something about, yeah, there's something about sound and frequency.
0: That sounds like a long discussion. So let's hit him up later about sound and frequency. If you were to think back, Mark, what, what are some of the things that maybe we didn't teach in, in your program about entrepreneurship, about being an entrepreneur, or that, that maybe we should, uh, that we just hadn't thought of at that time, and we really need to be putting it in there?
1: So I, I, thought, a lot about, I thought a lot about this question, and you know, I, I will preface it with I can't think of things to take out. So it's unfair that if, I, if I give you things <laughs> no, to put in. That's all good. Go ahead. And I needed all of the tools that came out of the program. And I think think entrepreneurship in a business school is a very good thing because there's a certain, like there is just a tool set you have to have if you're going to be reasonably competent in business. You have to be able to run numbers and you have to be able to think through risks and you have to write some of the things that come from directly inside the entrepreneurship and some that come from the business school. But, you know, what is helping me more and more, history, I was, like, I didn't take history in school. I came I came up the engineering pathway. I thought history was a bunch of bunk and it wasn't kind of, it wasn't an interest and it wasn't core for me and it was never, it's not part of, it's really not part of the business school curriculum. Yeah. Like understanding your history, oh, super valuable. Um, and then a, kind of a, this is the second time I'll get on this thing, but I, so I'm lucky; I get to hang around the Perimeter Institute in Waterloo quite a bit, and the way that physicists think just about the fundamentals of the world and how the world works from a phys- like a science perspective, incredibly valuable to understand yeah. the kind of the big picture of how things really work. And the, and the, those two lines: the what is our history, business history, what is our history as a society, and uh, what's going on in the world of sort of fundamental sciences. Yeah like, super helpful in terms of perspective, points of view, all kinds of things.
0: Yeah, cool, Mark. I I love that. I I love to have the different conversations than we're used to. You know, we get very focused in whatever curriculum we're on, and and the ability to talk across that I I do find hugely valuable. And I, I hope, you know, as we've gone across Western, we're creating more and more of those conversations with, uh, you know, different faculties and students from every corner, and and don't be afraid to to have those conversations because you never know what's going to spur an idea, in the moment or later. And so I, I really encourage you to have those cool discussions about different things that maybe you don't talk about very often. Cool, Mark. Uh, you know, maybe we'll end it on uh, this. What what advice would you have for aspiring entrepreneurs in the group, or maybe entrepreneurs, or maybe you know business folks that are thinking about taking a leap? Uh, in
1: the near future travel <laughs> a- apart from the other things that we've sort of talked about tonight, just travel go different places and see things you're not used to seeing if especially if you're in a city in your north American city get get out of North America and get into smaller get into smaller centers where culture is different and the food is different and the mode of thinking is different. it's amazing how many ideas you will get and you can't you just can't get them you can't get them from other people where you are you have to get them you have to get away to get them and so I'm gonna back
0: that up a little bit because that's great advice uh, but there's so many people out there that just go through life, that go through travel. It's about keeping your eyes open and looking. How is this problem being solved here? How is it solved back home? What's the difference? Why does it happen that way? It's those kinds of questions as you travel that I, I think unlock so much value. Uh, for entrepreneurs, that's how they. That's just how they think. <laughs> it's, it's observation. It's looking at problems, looking at issues. But for a lot of us, we have to train ourselves to think that way. And I, I think so to step back that a little bit. The Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Quantum Shift 2008 alum Connie Clarici, and Closing the Gap Healthcare Group. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player or visit entrepreneurship.uwo.ca slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.